0: Welcome once again to the Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Sroka. Last episode, I challenged listeners to kind of expand their understanding around literacy to include digital literacies and social media literacies. And part of the argument made last episode was this idea that you can't bring a critical eye to something unless you're first aware of it, right? Awareness comes first, then we can start to think critically and deeply about it. Well, in today's episode, I want to continue to expand our understanding of literacy. Uh, this week, we'll be looking at indigenous literacies. I think we discuss literacies. Uh, I think we don't discuss indig- indigenous literacies enough. And I'm talking to myself here as so I'm also talking to you, and and I sometimes feel guilty for not reading or thinking enough around this specific topic. So today, I'm going to address that. Today, we will uh, have a conversation with Dr. Natalie Martinez. Uh, to to discuss Indigenous literacies. Natalie Martinez is a professional educator. She was a principal and teacher at her Puebla Nation and taught middle schoolers and high schoolers at other schools in New Mexico. Dr. Martinez's collaborations on Indigenous-centered curriculum projects include Indigenous Wisdom, Indigenous New Mexico, the Curriculum Guide for an Indigenous People's History of the United States for Young People, and the Teacher Guide for Indigenous Ingenuity. Her chapters appear in Luminous Literacies, and the Yazzie case interrogating the Yazzie Martinez lawsuit. Dr. Martinez most recently completed a visiting lecture appointment at the University of New Mexico and is starting a full-time faculty position at the Central New Mexico Community College in teacher preparation this fall. Her research focuses on education for indigenous youth, professional curriculum development, and education policy. Today, we will discuss her article, Indigenous Literacies, a look at pedagogies and policy in the Southwest United States. Again, if you want to read the entire article, it's linked as always in the show notes. We open our conversation by defining indigenous literacies. We then go on to discuss current policies around indigenous literacies. And then we spend the majority of our conversation discussing what all this means for teachers and teacher educators. In other words, uh, we talk about Indigenous literacies and and then we talk about how should this inform our practice of indigenous and non-indigenous youth. I hope you enjoy our conversation. (laughs) I'm excited now to be joined by Dr. Natalie Martinez. Uh, Natalie, thank you for joining us.
1: Absolutely, I'm so happy to be here.
0: Um, I'm excited to talk about your article, Indigenous Literacies, a look at Pedagogies and policy in the Southwest United States. Can you talk a little bit about your background and how you got interested in this work?
1: Sure, absolutely. I have been an educator for at least 30 years um, in the sort of professional Western sense. And and as we think about what indigenous literacies mean um, for far longer than that. But um, I've taught in the social studies classroom, um, middle school, high school, also uh, as a a teacher of adult learners um, in the university and community college setting. Um, and so I, I have been interested in looking at how, um, the idea of literacy has developed over, you know, the course of my own professional development, um, and as well as how we're, we're looking at it and talking about it in, um, in academic spaces, um, more so lately. I have, um, I have, had opportunities to work with um with debbie reese who is um who is one of the indigenous um, scholars who really has a lot of impact on shaping what critical indigenous literacy looks like uh in terms of helping the uh helping sorry, um, in terms of, of helping educators develop a sense of what, um, indigenous literacy means, what it looks like and how, and how it impacts and can be implemented within their own classrooms. And so, um, um, I'm, I'm continuing to work on my, um, my own understanding of, um, the academic sense of what indigenous critical literacies look like, and uh, so currently I'm starting a new role as uh, as an educator of educators at uh, Central Community Central New Mexico Community College in Albuquerque, and so um, I'm really interested and excited to be uh, sharing what I can with uh, teachers who are going to be entering the classroom within the next year or so.
0: Yeah, well, and I'm excited to hear for the opportunity to talk more about indigenous literacies because I think when we talk about types of literacies, indigenous literacies is not something that students are exposed to an awful lot. Um, and just real quick, before we get there, you mentioned Debbie Reese and you shared with me prior to um, the show, uh, her blog, right. and I already had a chance to go on there and look at it. Uh, she keeps it very up to date with kind of current events and her response. And I spent uh, right before now, I was I was spending time scrolling her not recommended list, which is such a cool idea to do. We think about recommended texts, but also not recommended texts. Um, so that's a great resource, and I'll, I'll link that in the show notes so people can have access to her blog. Um, can Can you unpack a little bit more what the term Indigenous literacies means?
1: Absolutely. Um, so I think before you know, I was remiss in introducing myself, um, and and as I think about Indigenous literacies, that's part of um, what what i would consider appropriate is to really share with you who i am uh, as an indigenous woman Um, and so uh, i will greet you and so I've introduced you to, to me as an Indigenous person. Um, I've shared my traditional name in the Laguna language with you. Um, I'm, I'm named after a flower that is, um, it, it's, uh, it blooms in the springtime and it's a desert flower. And um, my, my clans are Roadrunner. And um, parrot, and those come from from my, both of my parents. I'm, I'm a roadrunner from my mother's side. Laguna Pueblo is a matrilineal um, mm-hmm. clan system, and my father's side, uh, the parrots, and so um, my children inherited the the um, roadrunner from me, and uh, their children, my my daughter's children, inherit the roadrunner as well. So it fall, it falls through the um, the mother's side. I live here at Laguna Pueblo. I was, um, I was raised here at Laguna, um, and growing up, a lot of what I learned really was um, shaping my own indigenous literacy, and I didn't realize it at the time, but it is a process by, by which uh, I learned how to be a Laguna woman. I learned how to be a good human being. I learned how to exist within this world and to navigate through through the world. And and when we think about indigenous literacy, it it's all about encompassing everything. So it's it's larger. It, it's related to community literacies. It's related. It's related to family literacies. But it's larger because there's the there's the component of having that indigenous. Identity folded into all of these. And so it's a true multi literacy framework. And so um, as I was learning the lessons about becoming a literate Laguna person, um, I had people to look to. I had my older sisters, um, I had my, my mother, my aunts, my, my grandmothers um, to learn how to be um, within this world. And so That really uh, does shape how to show up, you know, the the different protocols in terms of of, um, behaviors and the different protocols in terms of how to engage in conversation with different people, you know, depending on the season, the time of the day, the gender, all of those are very, very complex in terms of defining who I am as a person in, in the world in which I navigate. And so when we think about indigenous literacies, that's going to be different for different indigenous nations and different members, because we all have um, some common threads. But one of the things that um, often happens is that um, all, all indigenous people are sort of lumped together together. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, you know, we have so many, uh, intricacies in terms of language and culture and, um, protocols for our, our own, um, navigating through our own nations. And so as we build on indigenous literacies as a concept that can be used in academia, I think it's important to realize that there are some common threads. And so, um, looking at, um, being very specific in terms of, um, when we are referring to different indigenous nations, you know what what nations are are we referring to, and so really defining um, how that navigation happens, and an additional layer to that really comes with how that navigation happens once once we hit school, because then we have another layer of literacy added to that, and um, and so thinking about. How to define it, it really is so complex that I, I wonder um, if it's taken so long to really have a clear definition of what it is, um, because it is all encompassing. It is um, really being able to um, understand your place in the world to understand your relationship to other things and places and people within the world, and then to be able to know about and understand how to engage with the surroundings. Um, And so those are some of the bigger pieces, the bigger components of Indigenous literacy. And as we start to think about critical Indigenous literacy, it really then is looking at what the, um, the notions of power are. And, um, you know, I come from a critical pedagogy background um, as uh, as a scholar and really being able to interrogate those systems of power and how they impact and influence um, knowledge systems and whether or not what I'm coming to the classrooms with has been valued and what, you know, what I have to offer, whether or not that's valued. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times we value things that are tested. And so those kinds of things don't get tested. And so there's an inherent message that, you know, they're, they're well and good for certain things, but, um, you know, because it's not in the standards or it's not going to be on the, the test per se, that maybe those aren't as valuable. But that really mm-hmm. is who I'm showing up as, uh, as a student, as a learner in, in, in a classroom. So, um, you know, that, that really, um, yeah, I, I really can't um, tie down to one particular uh, definition. But, you know, I can kind of describe and explain some of that.
0: Yeah, Natalie. that's I mean, for being unable to tie it down, that's, I think, a really good kind of overview and explanation of indigenous literacies. And and thank you for that introduction, that beautiful introduction, because I think that also points to the things that you've been talking about. Right. Like that points to how you value language and how you value family and how you value community and culture. Right. And these things, even just in simple um, greeting and introducing yourself, it's you can see kind of those values emerge. And, and you're right, like these, these are things that everyone um, is exposed to literacy from the time they're born, and how they interact with others and what's valued in their household, what's valued in their larger community. These are things that we all we, we are aware of now. Um, and some of these align well to what is happening in schools. And sometimes kind of the literacies that are formed at home and community don't um, align well at what is happening in schools. So, so let's let's kind of transition. And talk about what is happening in schools. Um, sure. Natalie, can you unpack a little bit? Um, what are um, the current policies around Indigenous lit, 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 literacies?
1: Sure. Um, so, in the article, I really focused on. Um, on some of the literacy policies in the Southwest, that was the required, uh, the requested focus that um, that I had. But I think just across the board, uh, different states are starting to um, acknowledge that there is um, an expanded or broaded, broadened um, definition of um, really what counts as knowledge. And so in um, several different states, we have new... Uh, content standards in New Mexico. We have new content standards for social studies, which does include um, a lot of the literacies. And as we continue to develop new um, content standards for um, for you know literacies, language arts, social studies, there are more opportunities for indigenous ways of knowing and ways of being to be included in the curriculum. And it's interesting to see that um, in some of the states where there are movements toward, you know, broadening those, then um, there are some counter movements toward, you know, going back to and narrowly defining, you know, what it, what, what's acceptable um, for, uh, for knowing about Indigenous peoples, indigenous histories, and so a lot of times what we're seeing in in classrooms is that the things are 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 acceptable are those um, literatures that um, sort of relegate indigenous peoples to the past, and we're looking at you know this romanticization um, of indigenous um, knowledges and the the stories and histories, and so we're looking at a lot of um, sort of. Return to the, the feel good notions of um, you know the that whole uh, idea of a melting pot, and and so we have two um, coexisting movements that are happening in terms of policy in in classrooms that are guiding that are guiding teachers and curriculum and content, and um, and so it's an interesting time to be in the classroom because at one Um, it's really exciting to know that by policy, whether it's state law, state, um, curricular policy, school policy that is expanding and, um, asking for a more comprehensive, um, acknowledgment and and focus on um on different kinds of literacies uh coming from different voices um and so at the same time as we're gaining some momentum with those types of um yeah you know, new endeavors in classrooms we're also starting to be faced with some some pushback and so um it it really is an interesting time and you know and i think that it it would um in this particular time and space, it's, it's a really great time to start to, um, to investigate and to research what's happening with curricular policy, especially when it comes to literacies and, you know, what does, um, you know, what kinds of literacies are we really accepting and, and how is that, um, Formally being changed by um, changing policy, by accepting um, and changing and expanding different kinds of um, curricular content uh, standards from the different states. And so, you know, I think for the most part, teachers are experiencing a lot of um, additional opportunities for engaging Indigenous literacies. There are um, a lot more Indigenous authors who are being recognized by um, the larger publishing houses. And so there's more access for teachers uh, to include indigenous literacies and, and uh, indigenous authors in their classrooms. And, um, you know, uh, uh, at the same time, some of those books are are currently being banned um, and not allowed to be taught with, in certain schools and certain school districts. And so, you know, it, it's, um, two steps forward and one step back. And I, and I think that kind of has, has happened throughout history, the, the, you know, the history of schooling, you know, we make some gains and, and um, you know, then, then there's some bumpers that, that get put on, that get Mm -hmm. put on the, um, the practices that we can engage in, in our classrooms. So it's definitely a a balancing act and, and learning how to navigate through and, um, and know for teachers really um, how to, balance uh, their curriculum so that they are being inclusive so that um, we can engage in conversations and we can acknowledge and allow um, our students, especially those students who' have traditionally been marginalized um, or minoritized into the classroom into the into the space that that is um, what counts as knowledge in our classrooms.
0: Yeah, that, it's such a good point that we are kind of in this weird space where, we're acknowledging, I feel like, in education more than ever, these critical literacies and and the need to kind of deal with um, some of the problems in, in our school systems. Um, for example, just coming from my past experience as an English high school English teacher for 14 years, and something we dealt with a lot is kind of the curriculum and specifically the textbooks, and were they too European, white, male-centric, and what can we do about it? And so we're having these great conversations on the other end of the spectrum, and not just conversations, like our book closets are changing. But on the other side is, is you're right, there's been this politicization of, of how we even talk about our history and um not wanting to acknowledge some aspects of our history, or want to kind of change how we talk about um, um, our histories to 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 make us feel better about ourselves or for, or for whatever reason. Right. And so there's these kind of conflicting <laughs> things happening at both ends of the spectrum, almost like a tug of war. Um, some really good stuff happening, and also some challenges that education's facing right now. Uh, and this is in the backdrop, too, with indigenous populations, right of 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 a real um kind of ugly history with education, right? of assimilationism and 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 um just a kind of ugly, fraught history of indigenous education in in this country
1: absolutely. you know, i I've been having conversations with students and and with colleagues about um, this. Um, more recent, I'd say, within the past five years or so, now that the um, the history of residential and boarding schools really has come to light, and um, you know, a lot of the general public really hadn't been aware of some of the um, the the atrocities and the violence that um, that had occurred in many of the boarding schools, and weren't aware of uh, some of the the practices that had then found their way into contemporary sites of education. And, you know, in, in my article, I talk about the curricular violence and, and really that is um, that has had one of the largest impacts um, in terms of how we teach and what we teach and what we're expecting our students to do, because it really is stripping them away of their um, of their ways of knowing of um, what counts as knowledge coming from an indigenous background, as I had mentioned earlier, and, and really separating um, the, the identity of an indigenous person from um, how they can be successful in, in an American school system. And so that definitely, um, you know, stripping that away, it has done, um, has done some violence in terms of how you show up, And what it is that you're supposed to know and do, you know, Mm -hmm. one of that's one of the concepts that um, in in um, the research that I completed for my dissertation um, really is looking at my own self in terms of how I was showing up as an educator within my own Pueblo community and what I had come to do and 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 really going through that process of shifting my mindset. Um, from um, being almost completely assimilated to realizing, holy moly, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm an agent of this curricular violence as well because I had come out of um, sort of a traditional teacher, um, uh, teacher program, teacher education program. And with these ideas about what counts as knowledge, with these ideas about what I should be looking for and assessing, and the kinds of curriculum that I should be um, having my students engage with, and then coming to teach in my own pueblo nation and realizing that you know uh, what who I am as a person was not showing up in my classroom because who I who I was showing up in my classroom as a teacher really was um, you know sort of this this. Uh, model American teacher that is focused solely on delivering content that um, you know would help the students to do well on tests and so going back to the to my original um, description of of, you know really what counts as knowledge and so Mm -hmm. you know and so I was conflicted in some ways and I wanted my students to do well and I wanted them to be able to test well and so what I was focusing on was a lot more of you know that sort of, um, that sort of Americanized knowledge. And, uh, and, and I realized that I was leaving so much out of my classroom, you know, and, um, that really did, uh, I really did have to pause and think about what I was doing and how I was showing up. And, and it's ironic because one of the, um, one of the topics that you had brought up earlier was about language and, um, where we are in terms of, um, the state of indigenous language, and a lot of times, um, and this is this is true for me as well. But a lot of times, our parents were coming out of that American school system, whether it was a residential boarding school or whether it was you know sort of a, a Bureau of Indian Affairs school. But it, with that notion that in order to be successful, you must be able to be American, you must speak English, you must you know have all of these different components. And so that really, um, had a large impact on, on the passing down of indigenous languages. And I know my parents wanted me to be successful in school. And so, um, they made a conscious decision that when I started school, it was going to be English only. Uh, and so I'm continuing, you know, as, as an adult person, continuing to learn my own language and, um, you know, I, I don't think that I will be, you know, ever be uh, fully educated until I am fluent in my language, and you know, that's having gone through the American school system and earned a PhD. I don't consider myself to be fully educated yet.
0: Yeah, because yeah, what again? What do you value? What's what's important to you, and not just what's important to the American school system, right. but what's important to to your indigenous literacies? Um, yeah, I think that that's spot on, and that's something. I think teachers struggle with too, right? Like, how do I te- teachers who are teaching students, whether it's um, an indigenous language or whether um, it's just a non our non English speaking students, how do we kind of value their languages while still teaching the content? Is something I think that teachers struggle with. Can can you talk a little bit about, um, given your kind of article and um, and not just your article, your 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 work, um, and your experiences? Um, what advice would you have? For teaching literacy with Indigenous populations,
1: you know, I think really starting with um, acknowledging that students are coming to us with prior knowledge, and it doesn't matter if they're, um, you know, what kind of racial or ethnic background, what kind of socioeconomic background that that students are arriving into our classrooms. We all have knowledge that's important to our homes and our families, and you know in terms of um, indigenous students, there's there's that other deeper layer and it's very much tied to our identity. Uh, so valuing that there is indigenous knowledge that they're coming to our classrooms with, um, understanding that um, because there are things that we're taught to believe in school may or may not align with what students, uh, what children are taught to believe coming from home. You know, a lot of times um, when we're growing up and we're learning about our own histories and then we go into school and we're taught something very different, it creates this dissonance. And um, and sometimes, you know, students are going to um, wonder which version is the truth and, and understanding that a lot of times it's going to be multiple truths because the perspectives from which we're learning are going to be in conflict sometimes. And so, um, I think that would be, you know, first and foremost, um, acknowledging that our students are coming to us with, with ideas and with, um, beliefs and with, with, um, valuable lessons that they already have learned and, uh, and allowing them to allowing them space, you know, really to be who they are. To learn in different ways, um, you know, it, it really is. Um, it does a disservice to to students and teachers to come with this idea that Indigenous people learn in one way, um, that we're all right-brained, or that you know, a lot of those stereotypes that have you know sort of come into the classrooms and um, uh, some of the, uh, the early. Um, pedagogues were were sort of um, promoting in terms of who Indigenous learners are, but really just getting to know their students. And and if you know, and if we have Indigenous students, and you know, there are a number of students from a certain nation. You know, un- learning to understand what are what are some of the knowledge systems that are important to there, and and um, allowing students to really just express um, who they are and how they're learning in, in ways that are supportive and, um, that are validating to the indigenous knowledges that they bring with them to the classrooms, um, as well as providing that scaffolded support to help them to be successful in a Western sense, um, in a Western academic sense. And so whether it is language support or whether it is helping to make those connections between, um, the different sorts of knowledge ways of knowing or knowledge systems um so that they're so that they can develop um multiliteracies and and know and be able to use and to navigate the systems of multiliteracies because there are certain places where um I'm going to use um you know my standard English and um and there are certain places where I'm going to use um a different version of communication. And so I think really teaching students to be able to navigate those different ways of, of showing up as, as authentic beings is, is important as well. Um, and providing um, providing space for representation, uh, whether it is using Indigenous authors for um, to make sure that all students have access to knowing that we do have... Um, strength in in academics, in strength in literacy and literature, um, and uh, as well as using authors from lots of different backgrounds and different countries and and representing different kinds of frameworks and even to um, engage students and to introduce them to different ways of expressing um, what we know, um, whether it is in written word or whether it is in different media. Um, so that's that's also really important. Uh, you know, so you have a, a multi-pronged approach to just making students feel that they are valued as as human beings is, I think, the bottom line.
0: Yeah, I you're that makes me think of I kind of when I have these conversations, I often go back to Gloria Ladson Billings. Um, that's but that's just good teaching, talking about contrary or mm-hmm. culturally responsive pedagogy. Because I think a lot of the ideas here, and feel free to push back on any of this, Natalie. But I think a lot of these ideas here, about kind of understanding our students' background and kind of giving them space and letting them kind of uh, represent what they know in different ways, is is often good teaching for all of our students. I think one of the the problems though that comes up is um, if we're especially if we're working with students who are of a different background than us, we tend to maybe. <laughs> um not understand or know about other ways of knowing or other ways of expressing themselves or their specific background knowledge or you mentioned like the a simple example with like like the the texts right maybe we just don't know what other indigenous texts are out there that we can use in our classrooms and so i think some of the ideas that we're talking about here is just good teaching but we need to make a little bit more of an effort perhaps when we're um dealing with students who have a different background than, than we are familiar with
1: Absolutely, you know, um, the uh, um, one of the the author or a couple of authors that I had referenced in in my article um, really talked to the idea of culturally sustaining and revitalizing pedagogies, and so when we're thinking about how to um, provide space for students to show up as authentic learners um, and to uh, to add that revitalization piece into coming in as a learner who's valued and whose um, whose knowledge system as an Indigenous person is really valued, and to be able to allow them to um, to teach us as educators um, how to communicate and what you know what's really valuable to them um, coming from their own literacy framework, I think is important um, and helps to give us a starting point. From which to then uh, scaffold the learning from you know what what we're charged with teaching as as educators as classroom educators you know in terms of um, meeting the the content standards and um, and being able to um, to help them to strive in terms of the, the types of, um, measures that we, that we have to use as classroom teachers in, in this country, you know, when we're looking at the, the different kinds of, um, normed testing, because that's really important as well. And, um, so we can't have all one way, um, Mm -hmm. because then it, it leaves, um, it leaves a deficit for our children. Um, if we're, if we're, solely focusing on, um, teaching to the test, you know, we're leaving, we're leaving out their strengths and their identities. And if we're solely focused on only allowing, um, you know, uh, students to, um, to express themselves in, in one way, then it, it's really, doing uh, them a disservice in terms of per, um, helping to prepare them for um, for life as a student in an American school, because that's the reality of where we are at this point.
0: Yeah, I, no, I think that's completely true that we need a balance. There. And, and I would argue in some aspects, it's um, we want to we want to challenge students, right? So mm-hmm. we want to push them to do things that maybe um, at first are uncomfortable with, but scaffolding that there for them and helping them be more comfortable with it. Um, If I I can have you, Natalie, talk a little bit more about how some of the ideas apply, not just to indigenous populations, but I think to all students. And I want to, and feel free to touch on any of these or all of these or none of these, but a couple ideas that come across in your article that I just stood out to me. One, you talk about kind of asset versus deficit-based approaches in the classroom um, and how that can help. The other idea was um, the idea of multimodal how multimodal literacies is an area that I think we can tap into um, to help our students. Um, And the other idea of, and you talked about this already briefly, but um, at least in terms of your own experience, if I can put it on the students, becoming more critically aware um, as well. Um, So if you want to touch on any of that asset versus deficit, multimodal, becoming critically aware and kind of how that impacts our indigenous populations and, and all of our students.
1: Absolutely. Um, so when when I think about um, this this deficit model, you know, it really a lot of times that is um, how we're taught to, and maybe not so much now that I think about it, but that's how we're taught to teach. Is you know all of these children are coming into our classrooms and they don't know a lick about anything, and so you know if that is the approach that teacher education programs are, are taking with um, with learning how to teach children who are different from us, um, you know then that really is setting us up to um, to become assimilationist um, sort of educators. Allowing um, the space, as I've mentioned before, to really understand that um, just because children are coming to us with a different way of solving the problem, um, doesn't mean that there's a deficit, and um, it means that there are different there are different literacies at work it means that there are different ways of problem solving or different ways of expressing or articulating understanding. And that really has, um, you know, dovetails nicely in with this idea about multimodal learning, because, you know, one of the, um, uh, one of the ways that I I think we can access our children, our, our students, um, best ways of, of, um, understanding and being able to articulate the the knowledge that we're trying to help them to build is by having opportunities, having choice, um, you know, to provide um, the demonstration of their learning in different ways, whether it is um, through writing or through um, speaking, through performance, you know, so that idea of multimodal learning is really important because as learners, we all We all access, um, um, the, the things that we're trying to understand differently. And, and it's not because it's, it's, um, you know, in our DNA or it's, you know, racially based, it's because we all have different brains and we all have different ways of approaching how we're going to be learning. Um, and so a lot of times when, um, when we think about the, the critical aspects of it, and I, and I mentioned my, um, my stance in critical pedagogy, it really is about, understanding what kind of knowledge systems have been valued and excuse me um and how we're expected and how students are expected to express their learning and so uh, on a on a standardized test we're going to um ask students to uh to engage in essay writing which is a great skill and uh, there are several different components of it and so you know, when we're looking at how to build into that as, as a classroom teacher, um, we can allow several different ways, but at the same time we're, we're then comparing. So if we're going to be writing an essay and it's coming forth as maybe, um, composing and performing a song, um, you know, on an electric guitar, uh, so there are some, some paths that we can teach students to cross into so that they are learning the essay writing pieces and they're learning the grammatical structures and and things like that. And so um, really being able to allow them to, to learn the structures and then to sort of um, bring it back to, to honing it in and shaping because not only does, does that allow um, students to, um, to express their learning, from, uh from a way of being or a way of knowing that is important to them and that it values who they are as learners but then it also um, helps to bridge um, what we're charged to do as educators in terms of you know teaching them the these basic skills
0: and um yeah I, you know, I just yeah. To interrupt for a second I, sure. I think that's great i I think about um when we talk about things if we're able to tap into what students already kind of are familiar with or interested in or have grown up kind of valuing things like music, things like art, things like love of the community um, that aren't often as valued in maybe a social studies or English classroom. Um, it, it it presents them with new opportunities to kind of not just to uh, do the content and show you understand the the information well, but also make these connections, which you want them to be doing, making these connections between home and and what they do in the classroom. And the other the other point I want to make is. I think the the reason I really liked in your article how you talk about deficit based approaches and asset based approaches, is because it forces me as an educator to just not the, the easy thing is just say oh well students they just don't know how to read on grade level and mm-hmm. then just my job's done right but what <laughs> what if what I said is it forces you to kind of look in the mirror okay well what are my students doing well what do my students know how can I tap into to to what my students are already doing at home because you know a student as you said, a student doesn't walk into your classroom knowing nothing. That's ridiculous. Right. <laughs> um, and so it forces us, I think the asset-based approach to, to do a little more to figure out, okay, well, what, what are my students' backgrounds and how can I uh, tap into that? So I, I really like those ideas. Um, as we talk about um, and the, yeah, the multimodal stuff too, like I said, I think that's, that's, that's good. And that's great. And we need kind of more of that. And also just points to as educators, what do we value, right? right. Like, if there's a, a certain assignment, if I'm asking students, for example, to write about um, their personal histories or something um, in a very autobiographical, honest way, and then I'm like on them about their common usage, right? Like that's <laughs> that's like a misalignment of how am I assessing what they're grading, as opposed to that's a great assignment to say, listen, if you want to put this in the form of art or video or music to talk about your own personal like that that aligns, like the assessment aligns with the with the task you're actually going to do. So I think it's kind of being more intentional about what we're valuing in our assignments when we give our assignments.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, just as, um, as educators, understanding that, um, you know, a lot of the things that we learned, um, sometimes, especially if we um, had been through a teacher preparation course, um, you know, over 10 years ago, A lot of the things that we learned then, we really just need to unlearn them. We need to expand the way that we are approaching um, and and really um, reflect on what kind of philosophy that we have when it comes to learners who are different from us. Um, So, you know, we're at we're at a place now where um, we have we have um lots of knowledge to tap into and when we're thinking about developing our own critical sense of of who we are as educators um getting to the point where we realize that maybe something i had been doing or maybe some you know a, a belief that i held near um and dear to my heart really is not in the best interest of the students that i work with um mm-hmm. to being self reflective and to understanding that so Now that I know this, I can't unknow it anymore. And so I need to do something to shift the way that I'm um, engaging with students or to shift the way that I'm um, creating and designing my curriculum um, to be more accurate in the representations that I'm using in my curriculum and and really to um, be able to to help to um, allow students to become self-empowered. Um, I'm not empowering them. They're becoming self-empowered because I'm stepping back and allowing those knowledge systems to really um, shine and to um, let them um, become the drivers of, of how they're expressing themselves in my classroom um, by choosing literature that um, is interrupting that um, the misrepresentation or the stereotypes or um or by choosing ways to um, ways to accept how they're representing their knowledge, I think those are really important implications for teachers um, to be able to really um, look inward and to say, okay, so you know, it, it's not the students; it, it, it's you know, I need to take some responsibility on myself and to make some changes there as well.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, I think critical self-reflection is just such a key component. Key component of teaching because you don't get to, to that point where you're challenging the text that you teach in the classroom. You're asking yourself questions about how indigenous people represented in these texts, mm-hmm. who are who are the authors of these texts, unless you're being critical and self-reflective, you're not even getting to that point. Exactly. Uh, um, this is your discussion art, uh, article. This is a, a a policy piece focuses a lot on policy. Um, do you have any advice for influences in policy, whether at the school level or or the community or state level, or federal level? You
1: know, you know, anytime that we're looking at policy, it is um, it is so critically important to gauge the community for whom you're making the policy. Who is who is it going to impact? And have have you as policymakers um, listened to the voices of those people that these policies are impacting? Um, have we been inclusive in term in terms of including the voices that are representing? Um, the, uh, the curricular standards that we are, that we're beginning to, um, redevelop or, you know, um, in New Mexico, uh, very recently we did, um, uh, I, I can't remember the year, but it's been within the last couple of years that we did adopt a new set of social studies standards. And so, um, I think about my experience as a member of the social studies standards, um, development in as a brand new teacher, I was the only um, person of color in the room. Um, and so we had people who were making policy, um, that was going to impact all of the learners in New Mexico. And it was going to encompass, you know, our multiple layers of, um, of political dealings um, with different nations. Um, and there, I was the only person of color in the room. And those social studies standards really reflected that. So as um as a person who was um, on the social studies development um sort of advisory committee this time, we had people who represented so many different voices um, of of everyone who has been a part of uh, New Mexico. And so as we were developing those social studies standards, really being, listening to those voices, um, being uh, flexible enough to say, okay, you know, we need to have some narratives from here, or, you know, this narrative is a little little bit too heavy on um, one aspect or one um, version of history. And, um, and then looking at and being able to, see that the social studies standards weren't focusing solely on the impacts of um, American um, or, or, you know, Spanish settlers or, you know, American colonists. Uh, And and so it was more diverse and it allows the teachers to be able to engage um, in ways with their students that are regionally important as well. Um, so, you know, as far as policy goes, I think it's just so important to listen to who the constituents are and not just the loudest ones, but the ones that really have, um, have made up and that the policies are going to impact. That's, that's really key. Uh,
0: I think that's, I think that's great advice because, I mean, I acknowledge in myself, like there are, I'm limited in the things I know about, right. And the things that I feel comfortable uh, putting on on those standards uh, because of my experience and my history and my knowledge. Right. And so um, let's bring on people who who are stakeholders, who it impacts. Right. I um, hear those voices. That's great. Um, so what's what's next for you? Are you continuing to work around policy? What's any updates on 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 the, the discussion piece you wrote for for JAL or what, what's next for you?
1: So um, as I had mentioned, I am um, currently exploring this new space as a community college faculty member and really thinking about how how we can impact the the dispositions of teachers who are going into our classrooms in, in ways that allow them to be more flexible to be more critical in terms of understanding their role um, and understanding those those power dynamics as they enter into the classrooms. Um, I continue to work with developing curriculum, the indigenous wisdom curriculum. um, And I don't think I linked that. Uh, I'll I'll send you the link to the indigenous wisdom curriculum. It is a Pueblo based, um, indigenous Pueblo based uh, curriculum uh, that is free and it's available uh, for download from the Indian Pueblo Cultural Center. I continue my work there. And so all of those um, pieces of, of who I am as a professional continue to develop and to expand and to offer opportunities for educators to um, to really understand what it means to um to engage in critical indigenous literacy. And, um, you know, I, I'm excited about these, these things. And I continue to um, follow the work of uh, my dear friend and colleague, Debbie Reese and um, and to share uh, her work because it really is very impactful for new teachers. And one of the things is we, we don't know what we don't know. And so by expanding um, people's awareness. Uh, I think that's going to be one of the key components of, of, being able to become more inclusive and, and to have the representation that we need in a meaningful way in our classrooms. So that's, that's where I, that's where I'm heading now. I have, um, a chapter that's coming out in, um, in a book from UNM press, and it's uh, looking at um, a policy um, in New Mexico. We had the uh, Yazi Martinez versus the state of New Mexico um, lawsuit. And um, that really contends with uh, how the state constitution guaranteed um, a sufficient education for all New Mexico children. And um, more recently, oh, well, you know, building up uh, over a long period of time, over generations, um, New Mexico's public school systems had been failing to provide those. And so there are some key components and some key um, um, student target um, groups that are impacted, Native American students um, being one of the, the larger groups, um, uh, people who are learning, students who are learning English language, uh, students who have IEPs. And so we continue to do our work on those and make sure that, um, that our legislation here in the state is reflecting um, the adherence to, to the court findings that schools need to do a better job across the board and meeting the needs of all of the children here in our state. So those are some of the things that you know I'm I continue to be excited about, and um, we'll continue to work towards.
0: Yeah, that I mean, you point out the just the complexities of it, right? Like just in that explanation, we have courts involved, legislators, and then we're also talking about creating standards, and then, mm-hmm. but also as you mentioned, kind of the work on the ground with, with new new teachers and preparing them right. um, um, to be more critical minded and. Um, and flexible in their approaches. So uh, there's just a lot going on here and, and a lot of work to be done, but also it's good to see work being done in all these areas. So that's, that's encouraging as well. Wow. Absolutely. Natalie Martinez, thank you for spending the time. This is a really um, good thoughtful conversation and thank you.
1: I really appreciate this opportunity to speak with you, Matt. And, you know, I am just so excited that we have uh, a resurgence in people who want to continue to join the profession of, of, um, of educators. And so, you know, I, I'm happy to speak with you. Uh, If you want to reach out to me, um, my information will be linked in in my bio, I think.
0: Yeah. Uh, So all the resources that Natalie talked about today, as well as her contact information will be linked in the show notes. So uh, feel free to reach out. Thanks, Natalie. Thank you.